0: Life Matters, a Penn Mutual podcast for financial professionals, bringing you life insurance insights from advanced sales experts and life insurance specialists. Grow a stronger practice today. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Life Matters, a Penn Mutual podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bell, Vice President of Advanced Sales. And it is my extreme pleasure to welcome you to this new endeavor from Penn Mutual. This is a brand new podcast series that we're going to be bringing you new episodes at least once a month where we're going to be focused on either Penn Mutual specific issues, life insurance industry happenings, or what's going on in Washington. In just a minute, we're going to be playing an interview that I did earlier with Dave O'Malley, who is our chairman, president and CEO, somebody that most of you are going to be very familiar with. But Dave started with the company way back in 1994 as an intern. You're going to hear all about his backstory, how he came to Penn Mutual and worked his way all the way to the top. I think everybody's going to enjoy the conversation. We covered a whole bunch of different topics. As I said earlier, we're going to be doing these episodes at least once a month. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes. But with that, let's start the interview I did with Dave. Well, Dave, thank you so much for joining us on Life Matters, a Penn Mutual podcast. You're our first official guest, and I'm so thrilled that you were able to join us here today.
1: Well, I'm really excited to be uh, the first guest. I'm super excited for uh, for the new podcast series and, uh, and all the information that's going to be shared on it. So it's great to
0: uh, be with you today, Bill. Tremendous. All right. So, the first question I have for you is actually something that I think a lot of people have probably heard, but we have to assume that a lot of our listeners have never met you or never heard from you before. You're obviously the CEO of Penn Mutual. You're also the chairman, the president. Any other titles beyond those three? No, that's it. That's it. That's more than enough at this point, Bill. That is, it's <laughs> a lot. So, anyways, I think a lot of people probably would love to hear your background. I, I think that some people in their minds think, Oh, okay, this guy runs a major insurance company. He's probably handpicked out of Harvard uh, Business School, MBA, and so forth. But you kind of took the old fashioned track to kind of work your way up through the organization. Uh, share with the listeners how you started with Penn, where you came from, and kind of how you worked your way up to the top.
1: It's an interesting career journey that I've had. You know, I still do consider myself the $9 an hour a year intern that started with the company in my sophomore year at Drexel University. So really, I, I did join the company in the investment area as an intern, really specializing in photocopying and filling up files that we needed to maintain for the SEC about our money market research. And so that was my opportunity. Drexel uh, is known for its co-op program. And so started with the company when I was 19 years old. And uh, from there, took on a variety of different roles in the investment area over the course of the years. Got more involved in sort of risk management, asset liability management, ultimately uh, led the investment organization. And then my first executive job was as our first chief risk officer in 2006. And I've had roles leading product management, CFO, chief operating officer. So I've seen a lot of different parts of the company. But when I think of myself, I still go back to the base of who I am, which is the
0: intern that joined in a bond trader at heart. So you've mentioned that you've had a lot of different roles in your time at Penn Mutual. Having all those different experiences within the company, has that kind of helped to shape how you run the company your in as a CEO? It really has. I think the the value of having had so many different roles
1: is really it's given me a very unique and incredible perspective on all the different skills, all the different pieces that have to come together for the company to operate at peak performance for the benefit of our policyholders. It's, I think it's given me a unique perspective of mutuality, given me a unique perspective of the financial professional as our customer. And so really, I think without those experiences, I wouldn't be able to sort of see that how everything has to work together in order to have an outcome that we want or be able to deliver a product or service or be able to have the culture that we, that's so key to who we are And so I think that that career journey has really helped aid in my perspective that way uh, and just really understanding how everybody as part of Penn Mutual needs to to be aligned and working together to deliver value to our customer.
0: So put a pin in mutuality, we'll be getting to that in just a minute here. But when you think about all these different roles that you've held within the organization, is there one in particular that... You think was probably the most valuable as far as providing the background and is there one that you really didn't want to do along your journey but that you're glad that you ultimately did.
1: Yeah, so maybe I'll start with the second piece first which was uh, the role that I found that was the uh, the most difficult for me, but today I learned a tremendous amount of, uh, which is a skill that I use a lot around influence, right? So you would think as As a CEO of the company, you have all this authority, but at the end of the day, I almost never use authority, right? It is the least effective leadership trait to use. The real key is around influence. And I really learned how to use influence when I became chief risk officer. I wasn't really responsible for anything. I wasn't able to make those decisions. My job was to really work with the business and help them make their decisions better. And that's all influence. And so it was a tough transition for me, because I had been spending a lot of time working in the investment area leading up the fixed income side. We had just rolled out our variable annuities and living benefits with their hedging program. So there was a lot of things that I had been doing where I was sort of the, the either the project lead or responsible for that management and the transition to influence was a really uh, different role at the time. I probably didn't appreciate it to the point where I do today because it really did teach me a lot about how to utilize Influence, how to, to work with our teams uh, overall. I guess your first piece is what was the role that gave me kind of the biggest and most interesting perspective on the company. And I think that, that really had to be the journey that began with those variable annuity and uh, living benefit products that we rolled out. I can remember just to tell a little story of the kind of that aha moment that I realized I didn't know much about the business was, I think it was uh, 2005 and we had just rolled out these products. And I was at uh, in our office in Akron, Ohio, and then I was supposed to get up and talk about what we were doing, how we were managing these risks and everything. And I uh, gave a presentation near the end of the meeting, and the presenter before me was a gentleman by the name of Maury Stewart. And Maury, uh, unfortunately, passed away after a very, very long life, but 65 years with the company, and he passed away in his 90s about a year ago. And Maury got up and gave a talk about the miracle of life insurance to the financial professionals in that room. And I sat there and said, wow, I really don't understand this business fully. I'm going to get up here and talk about the product. I'm going to talk about this technical uh, hedging stuff, but really didn't have that sort of background. And so Maury was great to me. He spent a lot of times over the next 10 years, really spending time with me, giving me opportunities to meet with financial professionals and getting that exposure to at the end of the day, because that is our customer, right? And the financial professionals there, we help them deliver value to their client by having great products and services and supporting them. But really, that was the piece. And that was probably almost that seminal moment that I said, well, I have to really, if I want to be in this business, I've got to actually learn this business and learn what really makes it work and tick.
0: Is that the same moment that you decided that this is really where you wanted to spend your entire career in the life insurance industry? I mean, you started as an intern. I think like most interns, you probably started thinking, well, this will give me some nice experience and it's going to be an interesting thing, but it's probably not going to be my forever job. When did you figure out that Penn Mutual and the life insurance was where you really wanted to be? Well,
1: I determined that I really wanted to be at Penn Mutual, so I did leave for a period of time, right? Uh, some people joke that it was the uh, the repo trade with Morgan Stanley. I left in uh, 2001, so I'd been doing a lot with derivatives, a lot of cutting-edge derivatives with Penn Mutual for managing risks, and Morgan Stanley gave me the opportunity to come and join their uh, fledgling credit derivatives effort, uh, ultimately all that fun stuff that caused, caused all sorts of problems in the world and the economy in 2008. But I have to say, when I was growing up, I wanted to be on Wall Street. I wanted to add opportunity. And so it didn't tend to come from the kids from Drexel. And so I took it. And when I was there, I realized that just being in the financial business wasn't what I wanted to do for my entire career, just being on the trading side. I wanted to be part of something bigger. And so I knew that. And then it really was a series of over time that I decided that the life insurance business, this is a great business, the value, the impact that we can have on people's lives, just the interconnectedness of how the business works was where I wanted to spend my career. But I-, I knew I had to get back out of kind of that Wall Street. Yeah, we're just trading. We're kind of moving money around to something that had a bigger and broader impact. And then over the years, I'm a Penn Mutualist now. I think at, uh coming up here in uh, what would be two months in thirty years? Uh, I'm not going anywhere. This is this is this is home for me.
0: Well, it's a great organization. I've only been here for a little over three months, but uh, I can definitely see why people spend their entire careers here. It's a it's a fantastic place to be.
1: We just have so many great people, whether or not they've been here for fifty years or whether or not they've just joined us. The culture is really strong. I mean, I think that the sense of belonging that we create for everybody and that purpose and mission. You know, we just are so blessed to have so many uh, tremendous people with the company, all focused on uh, on delivering value.
0: All right. So I asked you to put a pin in mutuality a couple of minutes ago, and we're going to circle back to that right now. So obviously, Penn Mutual is a mutual insurance company. I think it's the second oldest mutual insurance company in the country. Do I have that correct? It is. That's outstanding. So What does it mean to you to be a mutual life insurance carrier, and why is that such an important part of the Penn Mutual success story?
1: Yeah, and and as you mentioned, Bill, right, we've been around since 1847, and the company was founded, actually, interestingly, as a mutual company on the same day in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, that the Pennsylvania Railroad was formed as a stock company. And the reason that our founders founded the company as a mutual company was that really they got into the business uh, and formed the company originally to be able to provide safety and security to their friends and other business owners in Philadelphia. And they knew and believed that the only way that they could do that and create that safety was through a company where everybody was vested and that mutual structure that has the policyholder uh, beneficially own the company, and so that it's operated for their benefit, and so that at the end of the day, in the long-term promises business, right? And we really are in the long-term promises business. Our longest policy on the books today, it's a it's a payout annuity. We've been paying on it. Was placed on the books since 1932. Our longest life policy in uh, 1935. So 90-year promises. That business makes need you. Take that long term perspective, manage through cycles, make sure there were there many, many, many decades in the future to deliver value. And mutuality allows you to do that because you know who the focus is for. You know why you're making those decisions. It really becomes very clear of how to make those decisions. And I believe really the only companies that can be successful in delivering great value for policyholders over that long period of time have to be solely focused on that policyholder. It is so hard to have other capital expectations for return in this business when you're looking at such a long-term promise that's embedded in your core product.
0: So what I'm hearing is is that there will be no change from our mutual structure at any point in the foreseeable future, correct?
1: No, we are a, a proud mutual, as you've heard me talk about. It runs through the DNA of how we bring people on and we talk to about what the organization stands for. It's part of all the talks that we do. It's part of how we bring on our board of trustees, right? And I make a distinction here. They are a board of trustees. They are there for the mutual company to be in trust of that company. They're not a board of directors. They're for focusing on navigating and overseeing the organization for a shareholder. And so all those things, big and small, are part of our DNA, which really has us, we will remain a mutual company. We're going to be a mutual. We're a proud, strong mutual, and we can continue to deliver great value for many, many, many decades to come.
0: That's terrific. I'm sure that all of our listeners will be excited to hear that. Now, most of our listeners are financial professionals, and a lot of insurance carriers out there struggle to think, who is their client? And I've heard you talk about this a number of times, But I think having it on the podcast will be interesting for our listeners. When you think about who Penn Mutual's client actually is, who is that and why?
1: Yeah. So at the end of the day, we're a B2B business, right? Business to business activity. So the financial professional is our client. We build out our uh, value proposition for that financial professional. We build great products and services that are available to that financial professional And then our job is if our product is selected, and I believe we have a great product portfolio out there, then our job is to deliver on what that financial professional recommended to the client. And so the policyholder is critical, right? We have to make good, we have to deliver great value in our products, but no product gets to an end, uh, end consumer without a trusted financial professional making that recommendation of what's in their best interest. And so we're very clear on that. At the end of the day, right? When I talk about who Penn Mutual is, it starts with mutuality. The second piece is the financial professional is our customer. And the third is that we're a relationship-based business. We have a strong culture and we bring that value through our personal interactions and our relationship. At the end of the day, that's who Penn Mutual is. And I think that uh, model has served us well.
0: Well, speaking of products, I think that uh, one thing that I hear from my brethren at other companies is how jealous they are of the different solutions that we have for financial professionals out there. I think you have some companies that are really good at whole life. You have some companies that are really good with universal life or index universal life or variable universal life, but most companies don't have that kind of entire portfolio or at least a competitive offerings within that entire portfolio. And then term obviously as well. How is it we at Penn Mutual have been able to provide so many different solutions to financial professionals when they're working with their clients.
1: You know, I think somewhat of it happened over time, a little bit by accident and a little bit by strategic planning. I think the, uh, uh, the piece of it that was very much with strategic planning was when we really started to say, we have the ability to truly differentiate ourselves in the life insurance space by being a leader in life insurance. And our history had led us to have universal life products starting in the 1980s. Right, having variable universal life in the 1990s, uh, offering guaranteed UL in addition to our very strong whole life products. And then IUL, I believe we came out in 2007 and having a great, great strong term portfolio that we continue to strengthen. So for us, we've really been offering that full slate of products. I think what over the last decade, we've really committed to making sure that all those products are out there and that we have what i like to think is all the arrows in the quiver so that a financial professional can determine what's the best product for that client and for that solution so that you can get comfortable with the penn mutual story who we are how we deliver value our philosophy and building product and then we have a variety of different tools to accomplish uh, accomplish that goal for the uh, financial professional to deliver to the client so it probably was something that we fell into a bit over time, but I think we saw the opportunity to really build this out as a differentiator versus other companies as being a company that leads with life insurance. And then we build other products like annuities as a complement. but we want to be seen and we, I believe we are seen as a, as a industry leader in the advanced marketplace for life insurance products.
0: I certainly hope so. And I, I hope that uh, what we're delivering in the advanced sales department is helping to further that message. Well you're
1: you're absolutely doing that and I think that we have great opportunities to continue to strengthen our position that way cuz it's not just the products we have but it's also what solutions are we delivering how are we helping people see the value and how life insurance can be used and you and your team are doing an exceptional job of continuing to utilize and show people how to utilize the
0: products we have and the features and functions in them All right exceptional I like to hear that so I'm going to I'm going to make that my new ringtone So Dave you mentioned tools Ace is a tool that I think a lot of people really think about when they're thinking about Penn Mutual, but we have some other terrific technology platforms for use by financial professionals and and clients. How have we as a company been able to really take advantage of technology? And do you think that the use of technology is going to continue to accelerate within the company and the industry going forward?
1: I do. I think that at the end of the day, we have uh, really taken the long-term focus on technology you know, by making it a core pillar of kind of where do we want to go as an organization, mainly to be able to do a few things. One, to make it easier to do business with us broadly, two, to be able to demonstrate the value and the performance of the products we have. And three, to be able to continue to show how those products have performed over the long term. And so you know we made investments 10, 15, even 20 plus years ago. Uh, that have separated us, I believe, from the industry. Right. Uh, One of those key decisions was back in the 1990s when we undertook a very difficult challenge to basically consolidate all of our historical legacy administrative platforms onto one admin platform with two instances, one for life insurance and one for annuities. And so to this day, we only have one admin platform. That then allowed us to really take a a bigger focus in that around the 2010 time period of building out a single version of truth of all of our data, right? Uh, So being able to look at and pull what is the correct name? What is the correct address? What is all of our tools in a very modern way to separate sort of our data from our legacy administrative platforms, you know, using uh, APIs and using advanced data techniques. That then allowed us to come out with ACE, which really is leveraging our ability to have and move data in a very modern, fast way, similar to like a Google-type search, right? It, it's extremely quick, allows us to have that seamless experience. On top of that, then we continue to be able to now leverage that information to be able to offer great value on the service side. And I believe that you'll continue to see us invest into sort of a knowledge tool's ability to have more information as we kind of enter this next phase of sort of the AI machine learning component. But I think for us, and it goes back to that mutuality, we had a vision over a really long period of time, right? It wasn't a single year, but we were able to continue to take the decisions we were making focused for the long term and continue to leverage them for additional solutions uh, that we've had out there. So I feel like we have a really good technology platform. It's 100% based in the cloud. So I can't believe today that we actually have no data center as we sit here anymore, right? It's uh, all virtualized with uh, with AWS out there, which creates great additional cybersecurity and redundancy from a business continuity perspective, but also allows us to integrate with very, very modern platforms to offer value to uh, financial professionals and their clients.
0: Yeah, I don't think a lot of people really appreciate what went into kind of running an insurance company even a couple of decades ago. So when I first started in the industry, the company that I worked for had a, a document center and I went on a tour my first week and the guy that ran the document center said that every day they went through a train car full of paper uh, printing different things just because that's how you had to do it back then. Now with cloud-based computing and all those things, it just, it gives us the data at our fingertips, but obviously it's just so much more efficient.
1: You can think not that far back in 2015, Penn Mutual processed all of it, did all of its underwriting in paper. And yes, the paper moved in different colored folders, right? And they went from area to area, whether or not it was on the new business administration team, whether or not it was in uh, the underwriting team, whether or not it was in the uh, the policy creation team, all that was done by paper. And we were extremely good at it, right? We ran the business that way. Now, 90% of what we do never touches a piece of paper, only eight years later. And so just that change there has been so transformative in order how we think about how quickly we're able to respond, how much more accurately we're able to deliver. But that transformation that technology has allowed, I do think that that's going to continue. I think we're going to continue to be able to leverage the data that we have as a business to add value to all of our stakeholders and to continue to make the business be more efficient. And that efficiency ends up being able to l- deliver value back to policyholders.
0: All right. So we've talked a lot about Penn Mutual specifically and things that are going on here, but I consider you a an industry expert and I think a lot of people do as well. So I want to get a couple of broader industry questions to you here before we end. Private equity money, we've seen a lot of it enter our industry over the last 10 to 15 years, both in insurance carriers and in distribution. Do you think that's a trend that's going to continue or do you think maybe we'll see it go back the other way where you're not going to see so much private equity money, but you'll see other entrants into the industry?
1: Yeah, we we definitely have seen a lot of private equity money enter the industry, both on the manufacturing and on the distribution side. Now, with the cost of money significantly higher, right? So a lot of this happened during the uh, the period where money was effectively free, I think you're going to see a bit of a slowdown in the amount of absolute P money coming into the business or a contraction in the multiples, right? That's just good, healthy kind of economics happening there. I don't think it's going to go to zero. I think that you will continue to see uh, P money look to the manufacturing side, in particularly in annuities around sort of this uh, permanent capital type solution that they have, right? Looking at being able to have a funding arbitrage, right? A net interest spread, whether or not it's through a unique investment strategy, through its unique unique product strategy, whether or not that's involving uh, different components. Uh, I believe that will continue, right? I think that the PE firms, there are continue to be ones that want to have uh, these type of entities from an asset management perspective tied to them. Uh, though I think the uh, the rollout of that will be slower. From a PE perspective in terms of distribution, I know I've had a little bit of a counter view here, which is I view it as a absolute positive for the industry that capital is flowing in. Right at the end of the day, when capital comes into the industry, it's there for opportunity. And what's the opportunity that I think that, uh, that PE sees in distribution? I think it's twofold. One, it's been underinvested in. There are so few companies that continue to invest in bringing new people into the business, continuing to help financial professionals grow their practice. It's something that's core to what we we do, but a lot of people have, from a manufacturing historic legacy carrier perspective, have moved away from that over the years. And I think the PE money, the capital that has come in is good because it shows there's an opportunity there. And I think it's gonna continue to strengthen the financial professionals uh, out there in the marketplace because people need their advice. There's great opportunity with the upcoming wealth transition that's out there that and the changes in uh, in tax code and everything else. People need their advice. And so PE, I think, has seen that opportunity and is coming in to invest in distribution, and that signifies that uh, the strength of distribution. So it's going to look a little different because I think that uh, the Fed interest rates aren't at zero anymore, but PE is here to stay in our business for the long term. And I also think that can be very helpful in really looking at how they continue to evolve the industry and then how do we incorporate some of those evolutions into the value that we have and stay modern as a uh, mutual company.
0: Well, I want you to actually get the crystal ball out for this next question. Is there any prediction that you have for our industry over the next five to 10 years that might surprise some of our listeners?
1: I think that the surprise will be that I think that there will there will continue to be a move to on the long duration products for them to be the exclusive or almost exclusive of the mutual companies. I think that trend still continues because of the expectations on uh, returns on risk capital, right? So this becomes almost just the academic, how how much can we return? of the capital? What's the the generated uh, uh, return there? How much capital we have to put up? I think in a world that continues to try and be more capital and capital scarce, and you see that across a variety of industries, that the long duration products will will continue to move mostly to mutual companies. The shorter duration products will move more and more into the PE and stock-owned firms. So I think that trend is going to accelerate probably over the
0: next 10 years. All right. Terrific. So- We started with a couple of personal questions. We're going to end with a couple of personal questions here as well. So mere mortals of myself are always curious what highly successful people like yourself happen to do to kind of differentiate themselves from the crowd. So, A, can you let everybody know kind of what your daily routine looks like? And B, what do you do to make sure that you are prepared both uh, mentally and physically for the challenges that you have as part of your job?
1: Well, Bill, I will absolutely tell you I'm very mere mortal. <laughs> uh, in no way interesting and spectacular in uh, in that way at all. But I guess what does a day look like? My days can vary considerably. Uh, there really is no model to it. Uh, probably spend fifty percent of the year on the road at either industry or company events, mostly with financial professionals uh, overall, uh, or. Uh, Corporate obligations, board meetings, those type of things. So do travel quite a bit on my regular day, you know, sort of in the office, which could be about half the time in one of Penn Mutual's offices somewhere, or half the time in my home can be a lot of Zoom meetings, a lot of uh, one-on-ones with my direct reports, a lot of opportunities to connect with people that way. I tend to start my days right around six in the morning, doing some reading, catching up on what uh, is out there to get done for the day and I tend to wrap my days somewhere between 6 and 7 o'clock in the evening responding to any emails that I didn't have a chance to get to overall. For fun, I am an avid golfer. I uh, try and get out there and play a couple times a week when possible, and then I also uh, have always been a car aficionado, so still do a little bit of work on, on some cars here and there, and uh, keeps me uh, busy. But also, I think just kind of keeping up on reading and everything else as well as uh, getting outside and uh, staying physically fit is important. So maybe that's a little bit more about my routine, but it is extremely normal by the end of the day.
0: Any specific car you're working on right now?
1: So I've uh, actually, yeah, this upcoming uh, next week, I've got to get an oil change done here on my 93 Mustang. So that'll be the next big project. So sometimes they can be just small maintenance, uh, but... uh, it's fun to get out there and do something with my hands and get to a conclusion of a project.
0: You have the 5.0 engine in that car?
1: It is. It's a uh one of the Fox Body LX's uh feature edition convertible. Oh, very nice. In
0: 1993, uh, that would have been my my dream car. I mean, I love that series of Mustang.
1: Those Fox Body Mustangs, that was what we, you know, had a great time with when I was in high school and college and so uh it's 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 a fun car to get out there and drive it occasionally uh but it's uh it, just the sound of them is great. It, it's kind of a throwback to, uh, to growing up.
0: For sure. All right, last question. It's late December when we're recording this. We're in the throes of football season here. Prediction, who goes farther in the NFC playoffs this year? The Philadelphia Eagles or my beloved Los Angeles Rams? I'm going to go Philadelphia Eagles. At
1: least this is, ends on what should be a fairly easy question for me to get right at this point. So the Eagles are stumbling a bit here, but I think they have three fairly easy games to end the year. I think they'll uh, regain their momentum, and uh, I'm not sure if the Rams will make the playoffs at this point. So uh, I think the, the, the Eagles win this one.
0: All right. The Rams are a coin flip at this point here, but of course, by the time people listen to this, they'll probably think... Oh, they finished at seven and 10. What is he talking about? So that's the joy of podcasting that uh, people are always able to look back and and make fun of your predictions. That's okay. Three weeks ago, the Eagles
1: were unbeatable and then you lose three straight games and now you're in full slide. So hopefully when when they hear this podcast, the Eagles will be on an upswing and uh, maybe uh, securing the division and maybe the number one seed in the NFC. So hope springs eternal.
0: All right. Well, fingers crossed on that. Well, Dave, this has been a terrific conversation. I know your time's super valuable. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join us here on Life Matters, a Penn Mutual podcast. I'm sure the listeners loved it and I really enjoyed the conversation. So thank you again.
1: Thanks, Bill. I enjoyed it. Great job. Great job for podcast number one. All right.
0: All right. Well, that wraps up this episode. I want to, again, thank Dave O'Malley so much for taking time out of his incredibly busy schedule. I found the conversation Fascinating. I hope you did it as well. A couple of quick housekeeping items before we go. If you have a question for me or even for Dave or anybody associated with Life Matters, drop us an email. We have a special mailbox. It's lifematters at penmutual.com. Again, that's lifematters at penmutual.com. That's a brand new mailbox that we set up to be associated with the show. The anticipation is, is that we will respond to every single email that comes into that mailbox. So don't hesitate to write us a note over there. Even if you just want to say, hey, we love the show because we love to hear from our fans. Also make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever it is you get your podcasts. That way you make sure that you don't miss any episodes going forward. Also, if you use Apple Podcasts, If you leave a review, I'll be your best friend. We love to receive reviews, and it helps to boost visibility of the show. So with that, I'm Bill Bell. Thank you so much for joining us here today, and I look forward to speaking to you again soon.